not actually ready. No, I'm ready. Ha, it's gonna beat you. <laughs> You're not gonna beat me. Beat you. You didn't know. It, at best, that was a tie. Do not always think of myself the other day. But I wonder if I'll be like in my eighties, and I've got all this, all these conversations with you that I can like look back onto and listen. No. Because we don't really have many videos of us together, do we? Or anything no. Like. Or if it'd be like MySpace, and mm. like you'd be finding it really difficult to get access to your own files because you. Oh. I best find a way of saving them already then in case like Spotify goes kaput. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um well this is Ben's bedtime stories. And I think it's only right really. I mean Ben's already seen what I was looking at on the laptop earlier, so it spoiled it a little bit. But I was very tempted to go into um some conspiracy side of 9-11 and I thought no because that's a lot of rabbit holes that I don't want to get down into and this is also like doing homework every week so I didn't have a lot of time so I thought of this documentary I saw years ago that was perfect for something like this because I can't think how I came across this but okay so are you ready Bedtime story, Ben. I am born ready. Oh, yeah. Are you though? So, we don't need to do too much details about 9 11. We all know what happened. Um, I can't believe it's been 20 years. No, it's crazy. I can still remember that day. Yeah. You know, they, they have that whole thing of, oh, well, you, 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 you never forget where you were at the mm. day that that happened. And the day at the time you found out, and it's. I couldn't tell you the time of the day or anything I found it out, but I do remember seeing it all on the news and being absolutely terrified seeing people just fall from those buildings. I never got the proper thing of it. My science teacher came out. He was a weird bloke at the best of times. He became a millionaire in the end by... Uh, um, he, he had, like, before websites were, like, ten a penny, you get a Facebook page for everything. He mm. had a bird-watching website. Oh, I'm going to be about that. And he literally just... He was, he was a strange, strange bloke. He, he was a bit like Roy Cropper. He was just a bit... Uh, I would have loved him, then. Sort of, yeah, but just not as nice. Yeah. Um, but just a bit sort of socially awkward and not able to read certain social cues. Yeah. Uh, and he just came out and went, you know the two towers in New York? Yep, they're hit, they're down. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, it wasn't very compassionate. No. Um, well, let's speak of someone that's not very compassionate about this. Um, <clears throat> so, this is about a woman called Tanya Head. Um, the only little bit I did write about 9-11 is that there was 2,800 lives were taken Um when this happened, fewer than 300 of the bodies were actually recovered, which is really sad. So this is one woman's story of survival against the odds. It stood out amongst everyone's story. Uh, some described it as tragic, but triumphant. So the weeks and the months after the attacks, survivors um, received little to no attention or sympathy, because after all, they were the lucky ones. 
obviously they had made it but there's obviously a lot that comes with surviving something horrific like that you know mentally physically survivor's guilt and all that kind of stuff yeah um there's one guy called jerry bogax and he was on the 82nd floor of the north tower um the first plane when the first plane hit he was no i can't read what i wrote there um he walked out four minutes basically before the tower collapsed so he was very lucky to get out so something like a coffee run or did he know it was coming uh, we not know? It says first plane hit nine floors higher, but I think I meant to write higher as in above. I put higher as in like higher for the job, so that's my bad there. Um, an English degree. I, somehow. And when he's been interviewed, he says people tell him um, someone must have been watching over you, which makes him actually feel really angry because he says, quote, why me? The person 24 above might have been a wonderful person, much more of value than me. It doesn't make sense, it's completely random. So he was plagued with survivor's guilt, like you said. Yeah, it's particularly in America as well, because there's so much religious rhetoric uh-huh. that's gone with it all, isn't it? Like, I mean, you probably would feel like that, like, okay, well, why, is, why have I been okay to live, but other people haven't? So, I can understand that. Um... There was another woman who, she's called Carrie Cohen Sullivan. She was only working there, she'd been working there for three weeks. She worked on one of the lower floors, but didn't hear the announcement telling them to stay put, so she left. Um, So she was really lucky. And afterwards, New York obviously tried to move on from this tragic event, and they tried to get back to normal. Um, and this is where Jerry's talking about his father's guilt, and he says, your ability to talk is greater than everyone else's need to listen. Um, he talks about how you often are quite repetitive about what you're telling people about it, but you can't help it, and everyone else is sort of moving on, but they still need to heal from it. Um, so two years later, survivors from this event are still feeling isolated and traumatised. So a group of about 10 people meet up in a Manhattan church to share their feelings with each other. And each week, word spreads and more survivors came to this meeting. Um, A woman called Cynthia Shepard lost her fiancé. He died in the North Tower and she was delivering mail there. Um, And she says that she recalled standing beneath the towers as bodies rained down. So these three survivors were members of this group and within um a couple of weeks there was up to 500 survivors talking in an online group and in person there was about 100 meeting up and this is where one woman's story stood out so tanya head claims that she um was on the 78th floor of the south tower so that would have made her only one of 19 people at or above the point of impact who survived She says that her fiancé died in the North Tower that day. Um, And she writes like these online diaries that became public. And she's talking about one point, um, you know, there's mounds of bodies, a smell of burnt skin and people's insides. I kept thinking of my fiancé and our wedding, swearing my love to him. Um, She was severely injured and burnt on her arm, but she escaped. And she said, quote, something gave me the strength to get up today. It was my fiancé on his way to heaven. A firefighter took me in his arms and took me the rest of the way out. 
Um, she found cover and then the next thing she knows she wakes up in hospital and Cynthia says that this is like crazy to hear this woman's story because she was seeing it from the outside um, of all the bodies like burning but Tanya was actually inside and she was getting it from the perspective of someone that was being burnt so very different she saw, I think Cynthia tries to downplay what she's been through but it's not obviously she lost someone she was still there when it happened just because you survived it doesn't mean that you're not affected no um and a lot of people said that this woman tanya her story just had all of the elements like there was loss with her fiance there was like her injuries she survived her story was so elaborate there was so much going on uh, whereas others might have just had one thing where it's like okay i lost someone or you know i managed to escape whereas she seems to have everything going on um she really impressed the other survivors because of this and because of how well she was coping. Um, she had a career in global investment and she fully immersed herself into the group with the other members. Um, the other members of the group actually said they felt guilty that they weren't doing more. Um, she paid lots of money into the group. She lined up speakers. She got the group official status and secured funding for them. And she even managed to get a trauma expert to lead therapy sessions for people. So lots of positive stuff. However, her right arm is scarred and she's been badly damaged from burns. Um, she speaks of how she sees like plane fuel sloshing over her arm, like lots of stuff. Um, and nobody questions this story. And within a year, she is the most famous 9-11 survivor. So as I said, the only... 300 bodies were recovered um the other survivors weren't allowed near what they named the pit um where the tower stood they weren't allowed to go there for closure they had to stay behind the gates with the other tourists who were allowed to be talking would be taking photos and someone says they're selling like really tacky merchandise with like pictures of the planes and the crashes and stuff yeah. it's not nice to see um there's no plight quiet place to go there to try and just have some time to think things over um and they're all saying how visiting to this should be allowed because you you need to have a place to go to try and hear some people that's what they need to do is go back somewhere like that so the 17th of march 2003 tanya emailed uh the group and said that she had somehow negotiated her way in and she was arranging visits for survivors to descend to the bottom of the pit. Um, and a month later, the first group of survivors went and Jerry and some of the others said that it was, it was healing, but it was disturbing and it was the first step towards getting some closure of how they felt. Um, everyone who met Tanya said they felt inspired by her, especially with her loss and all of this work she was doing for the group. Yeah, I so, mean, up to this point. Up to and this the point, thing is, I'm, I'm, right. I'm, I've got like a vague familiarity with this story anyway, and I know the way that it's going to go. But up to this point, you can't, you can't help but think she's doing really good. Yeah, she's doing some good stuff. And even with the subplot that comes afterwards, you still think well, she did do a lot of good still. Yeah. Like. Mm. Yeah, we'll go back to that thought later. Remember yeah. that. So spring 2004, Tanya puts her like writings, her um, her worded version of what happened to her, and she mass emailed it to the group. And 
the 23rd of March 2004, she emails them again and says that she's really doing well. She's got a promotion at work. And she actually wrote to the wedding dress shop and said they could donate her dress to charity because it's literally just been sitting collecting dust for the next for the last two and a half years and she's ready to like let go of that bit of her life however this is where things start to go a bit sour right yeah because there are some inconsistencies to her story um she told some people she spoke to that she lost a fiance some people however she told them she lost a husband so people first started to possibly doubt whether actually everything she told them was true. Um, Jerry said he once asked her, um, she said, oh, what's your fiance's last name? He said partly out of curiosity, but partly suspicion. And she always referred to her fiance as Dave, David. Um, they did give a last name, which is kept private for confidential reasons. Um, and he went onto the list online to see like people that had died in the Twin Towers and he found the name there and then he felt really bad because he was like, well, I've doubted her. Her fiancé did die there and feels bad for questioning her, I guess. The 9th of September 2005, politicians opened a tribute centre um, and the one person who is chosen to give the tour to the mayor is Tanya. So she goes down there and, you know, is seen by all these reports and stuff. It's quite busy and she is the person that gives the mayor the tour around this place. So how she's getting in with all of these big people, I don't know. Because um, she's nine, isn't it? It's like seen to be doing something. Yes. So um, one of the reporters says that she seemed nervous and a bit edgy, but she wasn't like trying to get her picture taken or anything. She was just kind of going very you know through it and you would be nervous in that situation if you Even if you didn't if, have the sin- sinister subtext yeah, yeah um they said maybe it's because of the nature of the tribute center that's why she's a bit nervous which is understandable um and she's already been through so much and suddenly now she's like this poster child for all the survivors uh that night tanya emails the group about the tour and says how great it was and people congratulate her and her fame just grows even more Nine months after the attacks in May 2002, the New York Times interviewed everyone who survived the South Tower at impact level or higher. They tried to make sure they got everyone's account of what happened, but they didn't manage to speak to Tanya. Um, This was helpful for friends and families because they could go through the article um, to try and find information about loved ones they haven't found yet. And this is so like wholesome but so sad at the same time. So there's this couple called Jeff and Alison Crowther and they lost their only son. And he was referred to as the Red Bandana Man. Um, and because some people kept saying about this Red Bandana Man that was coming up, they were like, oh my God, that's our son they're talking about. And their son was called Wells and they knew that it was him because ever since he was about seven or eight years old he always wore or carried a red bandana that's what he was known for and he was 24 when he died he was um, a high school hockey champ he volunteered at the fire department and he was a junior trader on the 105th floor and he loved working and his dad recalls a time when 
he rang his dad and was like, is it raining? And he goes, yes, yeah, son, it's pouring where I am. And his son says, well, not where I am, it's really sunny. I could see above the clouds because he was like high up in the centre. Um, after the attacks, the red bandana man kept coming up in articles everywhere through other survivors. And they found out that he had gone back into the burning south building three times and he rescued 18 people in that total. That is amazing. Absolute hero. And like it, get, getting two people out of there yeah. would be an achievement. Absolutely. I mean, one, Incredible. say one other person's yeah. life on the way out. Yeah. Um, he was the first citizen to be made a member of the honorary fire department. He did want to be a firefighter and that turns out that he laid down his life in the end for others. Um, so he is a real hero and it just so happens that um, Tammy's story just changes every now and then and suddenly a new figure comes up in her story and someone asks her did you see the red bandana man and she's like yeah sure not only did she see him but he actually put the fire out on her back um, and possibly led her to the stairwell her story would often change over time about how much input the red bandana man had to her escape so the tours to go down into the pit to ground zero at this point are happening six times a day seven days a week and tanya's story is reaching thousands around the world um and in time obviously this meant that wells parents heard of another survivor who owed her life to their son so the parents said that it was an affirmation of his life to meet people who were saved by him like they were quite happy they wanted to meet him. yeah that's really special in it because how many I, I i said this before in a previous podcast about something else but how many people have that much of a genuine impact mm. on somebody's life that leave that mark yeah um so they obviously wanted to meet her but she's reluctant and it's only in march 2006 that she agrees to meet them at a private Manhattan dining club. So she tells the parents that she remembers lying on the ground and there's a pain in her shoulder and it turns out someone's patting her shoulder and she's telling them to stop because it hurts but it is Wells putting out the fire. She saw his red bandana and his beautiful brown eyes and she told the parents that she has a picture in every room of him in her house so she can see his eyes and he's with me. I don't know if this is just because I know that she's lying I think that's a bit creepy and a bit over the top. Like, yeah, I mean, saying to his parents, yes, room, I've got a picture of him so that I can always see him because he saved my life. To be like, I have a picture of him in every room so I can see his beautiful eyes. Yeah, it's it a all bit, feels a bit cheap. Not it's like a bit Hollywood, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's not like a. I've got a picture of him because he saved my life. Yeah. But I then we're know. a very cynical nation compared to America. Like we think we very are. differently. We do. But then look, no, I'm not going to say that. Okay. Um, she told the parents she was going to have some of her clothing put in like a plaque or like behind glass or something because that's the last thing that he ever touched. Um, and she said she'd give it to them, but she never did. Um, but the mum says that they just took her on complete trust. They had no reason not to trust her. And the dad says, well, I'm not going to vet everyone who says that my son saved their life. Why would you? Why would you think somebody would make that up? Yeah, you wouldn't, would you? You'd never even question it. No. 
It's October 2006. You'd want to believe, even if there was a chance it wasn't true, wouldn't you? Just to be like... Surely somebody wouldn't make that up. Well, not only that, but you'd also want to believe because it would just give you that crumb of comfort, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, that yeah. his, his death wasn't in vain. Absolutely. Um, October 2006, she was voted president of the Survivors Network, but there is growing concerns among a few people. And somebody named Barbara Conrad, who was a survivor of 9-11, said that when she walked in a room, there was just this arrogance about her and she was really pompous. And we weren't there for the glory. So she said she was so turned off by that that she resigned. She left the group. She went having none of it. Most of the group remained in awe with Tanya. And she spoke to many members who survived. But she hadn't spoke to Cynthia, the male lady who'd lost her fiancé. And Cynthia says she was really reluctant to talk to me. And I felt like she was trying to avoid me. And I thought I was the problem. I thought like there was something wrong with me and that's why she didn't want to talk to me. 2006, uh, Tanya is invited to the annual concert, a memorial concert for Wells, um, and the parents asked her to address the friends, family and people that he had rescued there. Just as she's about to speak, she backs out and gets her friend to speak on her behalf instead, which I guess could have been seen as like nerves, but... Emotion, yeah. Hmm. 7th of September 2006, the New York Daily News run their first article about Tanya's tale and this is where journalists at the New York Times wondered why they've managed to get hold of this person because they thought they'd interviewed everyone um, so they start going around to survivors and asking details of Tanya's story and Jerry says after a few minutes of being questioned he realised this was now an investigation Carrie says uh, one of the survivors she was asked questions like, have you ever been to her apartment? Had you ever seen photos of her fiancé? Stuff that seemed more intrusive rather than about their survival. Um, and Wells' mum said that they told her, there's just a few discrepancies that we can't work out. What was her husband's name? And Jerry says that Tanya actually emailed him and said, look, these reporters are out to get me. Please don't talk to the press about me. Um, and he goes, well, I'm going to answer their questions. Maybe you should just talk to them and just, you know, work with them. So a week later, the New York Times ran a story of every detail of Tanya's tale and she was exposed as a fraud. She had made the entire thing up. Um, her hoax stunned America, as it would. And Cynthia says that it was almost like a weight was lifted though, that she understood now why Tanya avoided her and that it wasn't her that was the problem. Yeah. I mean, she'd been made to feel bad. Not only she lost her fiancé, but this person that everyone's like idolising won't talk to her and she thinks it's her fault. Why was she avoiding her? Because she obviously obviously thought it was a case of, oh, we're going to talk about both losing our fiancés and Tanya hadn't. So... She would have had to have made up a whole conversation with her. And it would... I don't know. But that's why. I thought that you meant that, like, she had some sort of specific kind of knowledge on this... Like, you know, to do with the person she was claiming to be her fiancé or whatever. No. Um, It's weird that she'd, like, stand and look in the face of so many other grieving people mm. that wouldn't speak to her. Like, it's just a bit... Well, I guess that's why she thought, what's wrong with me? And questioned it. But maybe it's a case of like when she went to the memorial thing, she just backed out of it last minute. 
She knew that people must have been onto her. Jerry says that this time was embarrassing, confusing, and they almost felt in disbelief. Because why would somebody make that up? Um, and they reckon that she probably made it up for the notoriety and the attention. Why you'd want that kind of attention, I don't know. But So they did some background on her and this story, you know, spread the news. And it turns out that she did not work in banking. She didn't even work in the World Trade Center. And her supposed fiance, the name that she'd taken from the list of people who had died, Dave, the family had never even heard of her. So she'd literally just picked a name out of the list and, and made up this elaborate fiance story. A rose. Yeah. Um, a Spanish newspaper found out about this, and days after 9 11, um, when she claimed that she was in hospital for getting treatment for her burns, she was actually enrolling at business school in Barcelona. Um, at least 20 people in her class at business school remember her being there. And they don't recall her saying anything about 9-11 to anyone or to have any injuries, which you would think days after that had just happened, you'd probably be mentioning it. Oh, so she did she make up the burns? Did she fraud you? Yeah, she had no burns. Well, did nobody look at the burns? Okay, so this is where it, it does get a bit confusing here because no one actually specifically says that she's got some form of injury, but she didn't get it in the World Trade Center because she oh, was so in she Barcelona. Has a she has some sort of... okay. Her real name, she's not called Tanya, she's called Alicia Esteve Head, rather than Tanya Head. Um, she's from a well-connected Spanish family. She attended Swiss finishing school. She's not even a US citizen. She literally took a plane and moved there to live out this lie. Which is just exhausting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, a decade earlier, her family had been in the news. I think I think that's similar anger to you know. Remember when I was that annoyed about that guy who like flew across the world to take a photo of the girl that was dying, like rather than like try and actually offer anything. And I was really pissed off about it. She was like trapped under a rock or something. Oh yeah, yeah, the news reporter. Yeah. Yeah, I just yeah. I, like, and I was like, oh my god, yeah, he won these awards for this photo it's, and for this article, dark, and it's like, well, that guy died. A yeah, that's a life. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Mm. Um, yeah, so a decade earlier, Alicia Head's family were in the news for months because her father and brother were in jail for a 24 million euro state fraud. So, one's in the family. Um, and they say this is clearly how she's learned to get approval from others around her she wanted by lying. The bullshito. Yeah. Um, she had previously said that she'd hurt her arm in a Ferrari accident with her boyfriend. Um, one guy says that she claims it was from a horse accident at a country club. And he says that she never owned a horse. And I'm going to throw in there, I 110% think that she did not have a boyfriend or a Ferrari either. Well's father. And this I is, cat. <laughs> this is the best bit of the Bar-bar-bans. story. <laughs> Well's father says he thinks the reason she made this up is because she's insecure. She's probably got low self-esteem, and he said about her, quote, she is a short, heavy-set woman. Not what I'd, don't tap me on the leg, dear, I'm going with it. 
because he's sitting next to his wife at this point. Not an attractive individual by normal standards. <laughs> and many of the comments, because you can find this documentary on YouTube, many of the comments say everyone should have known that her that she was lying when she said a fireman carried her out. <laughs> because she is a short, heavy set woman. <laughs> yeah, but firemen can carry people. <laughs> That's harsh. <laughs> it's harsh, but Sad but true. <laughs> you know, like when Lee Evans says about dancing with someone at a wedding, like shifting a freaking wardrobe. <laughs> I imagine it'd be like that. You know, we were watching Lee Evans the other day, mm-hmm. and like, yeah, we had that conversation about stuff that w- works its way into your everyday vocabulary. And yes. I, <laughs> we use that quite a lot. Um, a certain friend of ours, I'll just use the term hot dog. Oh, yeah. Um, he. Uh, he was with a girl one night and he was like, fucking hell, who's shifted a wardrobe? <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay, so, she she lived for five years with this new identity and no one seemed to question it. Well, they did eventually. Um, but this is the shit thing. Legally, she hasn't actually committed a crime. She, however, declined to be interviewed, which has done by, like, everyone that's tried to reach out to her. And her exact whereabouts are unknown. So I did some digging. Um, it, oh, and they, you found her. She's in the conservatory. <laughs> <laughs> um, Come on so, out. <laughs> and here she is today. <laughs> that would really take the show next Could level, you imagine? to be fair. That would go viral. <laughs> Uh, so, February 2008, this is the last thing the documentary says about her, and don't worry because this is also not true, um, the Survivors Network get an anonymous email from a Spanish email address claiming that Tanya has committed suicide. Um, I think that was her that did that, bearing in mind she's probably flown back to Barcelona. (laughs) What, me? Oh no, I'm dead. (laughs) I'm dead, wasn't me. I killed myself. Uh, yeah, and uh, the the last known thing about her was that July 2012, she was fired from a position at an insurance company in Barcelona, in Barcelona because employers found out about her time in New York. Um, she's still registered living in Barcelona. And that is the horrible, horrific story of the woman who wasn't there. Tanya Alicia Estev Head. I'm just, and you know the worst bit is so many of them say the same as what we were saying earlier. Like, she didn't need to make up that big lie. Yeah, if she wanted to, if she had the money to go and fly over there and do loads of great things, she could have been famous of her own right. Like, Mm -hmm. I just felt really moved by it, so I've come over to help as much as possibly can. Yeah. You know, she didn't have have to to glob onto the fucking pain and anguish and pretend that, mind you, would they let her into the inner circles then? Um, but I look, appreciate what you do and the money's good but it's not going to bring my people back go away no but then if she was setting up things like the trauma therapy I mean that's great they were saying that they felt ignored at that point because they were told you know it was it was a you should be lucky you're alive like you know move on mm. um, yeah it's really really annoying it, it pisses me off that she's not had to face any kind of or okay she's lost her job in places but 
I think there should be some sort of crime in that. Lashings. <laughs> a shame you know, like, bell. You know, like the uh, end of Lemony Snicket, where they put Olaf through everything that he put the kids through. Let's put you in a building and we'll bomb it down. <laughs> yeah, but she didn't put people through that. No, she <laughs> did, but, you know, maybe that'll make her think twice about lying. <laughs> well, yeah, if she's dead, then she's going to have a very difficult time. Well, she won't be able to lie anymore. Um, you should look up a picture of her and see what they mean when they're like, <laughs> fine, and carry her out. <laughs> um... I don't think the ends justifies the means there. I don't think putting her in a building and bombing it. It wasn't bombed, by the way. Well, look, plane smashed. Um, well, you reckon they did, didn't they? Well, exactly. But this is why I didn't want to get into that, because um, on the anniversary of it, I thought it would be best to focus on the victims. And um, that red bandana man, Wells. Yeah. Wells, poor... poor I'm sorry, can't remember his name. Um, I have it right here somewhere. I can't find it right now, and I don't want to keep you waiting. But yeah, it's nice to hear the real stories of heroes like that, and it's it's so sad he didn't make it out. I really wish he had. That's that's such a shame that what a selfless thing to do. Um, Crowther. So, Crowther, that's it. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I guess it's a good time to think about um, how sad it was that all them people, whatever the reason and whatever happened, it's still shit that nearly 3,000 people lost their lives. They shouldn't have had to. That was really, really rough. Have you got a happy thought? Yeah. I mean, it's football related, obviously. Go on, football corner. So, uh, um, I've joined the new Saturday team and we won 4 0. Well and then uh, my Sunday team won 5 0. Well done. Um, and then Liverpool won two, 3 0. Uh, so, yeah, happy days. Happy Three fantastic league. results. Brilliant. You don't often get everything fall into place. Normally it's one or the other. Like, FC Tech might win and then. Everything else gets up. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Liverpool go get a draw or something, but yeah, no, this is this was proper. Yeah, um, I've got an unhappy thought. You want to hear something? No, you want to hear This will make you think. No, have a happy thought. Okay, this will be happy for you, unhappy for me. Okay, guess who I had a weird, sexy dream about last night? Oh God. It's very rare that I get sex dreams, but... Who? I can't think of her name now. Her name, shock. <laughs> Fucking shock. Um, Yennefer. What even is my life? So, Andrew... Could it have been Henry Cavill? Could it have not pleased? Could it have been him, please? No? Who did I dream was coming on to me? Fucking Yennefer. But it's not just coming on to you if it's a sexy dream, is it? Well, she was just, like, kissing me. And, and then I woke up. But. Yeah, so I annoyed. probably had to wake you up so I could hear you whimpering. I thought you were crying. <laughs> so annoyed. I'm annoyed. So angry. Why could I have not dropped I was in the bath with him? So annoyed. Um, don't have a happy thought for this week. Just I'm pissed off about that. So. 
I don't think you're that pissed off about it. I think that really is like your happy thought. <laughs> Make of that what you will. Um, no, my happy thought was watching The Witcher this week. I really enjoyed it. And there's a book series. Sorry. Maybe that'll be the next thing. Um, and I've already started planning, I think, what we're going to do for next week. You know, um, dig into your deepest fears. What, snakes? Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Ugh. Let's see what I can do. Um, are we going to say bye, Ben? Bye, Ben. Bye, Ben. See you next week.